I always love these stories. Okay. Chief Chikora, he was apparently a prophet. He lived with his young son in the region of Tamworth. He did become good friends with this individual named Cornelius Campbell, okay. a settler in the area, like I'd mentioned. So there was one day that Chief Chikora had to leave his home for a tribal meeting, and his son stayed with the Campbell family, and unfortunately, the son dug into some uh, poison that the Campbells used to uh, ward off foxes, so the kid died. So Chikora came back. They're like the worst babysitters ever. When Chief, yeah, so he came back, his, his son was dead. Grief and anger overwhelmed him, so he sought revenge. He went to the Campbell's property, murdered Cornelius's wife and children. Isn't this crazy? It's like a Shakespeare story. Well, it's yeah. It's a Shakespearean it, tragedy. It's like, so if you if you agree to babysit the tribal chief's kid, like, you, you cannot let the kid, like, poison himself and die. Like, you're going to start a war. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. It's like, one, it's like babysitting 101. Well, that's what happened. So Cornelius came back and found the dead bodies of his family, and he, he suspected that, that it was Chief Chikora. So they, they got together a uh, group of people and chased Chikora up to the summit, and that's when he apparently verbalized a curse upon the white men and everything else. I mean, there's... I mean, there's historical accounts about what he said, but I mean, who knows if it's accurate or not, but uh, he cursed cursed everybody. So there's an evil curse on the mountain. <laughs> really? That might explain why yes. there's been so many rescues there this year. Like, this is about the 10th the issue on Chikora this year. You know what's really silly, though? As a kid, I always thought... See, I mixed up the stories in my head because I knew these stories as a kid, and I mixed them up, so I thought that Chikora got chased to the top because he didn't pay the toll. <laughs> Well, he didn't pay the toll, Jason, to the top. Yeah, that's crazy. So they, so I got that wrong. They definitely weren't like live free and die um, <laughs> back then. They were like, give me the toll if you want to pass. Yeah, yeah. Or charge somebody 1300 bucks just for a night's lodging. Unbelievable, man. What a crazy story. Yeah, yeah, that is crazy. Like, I'm blown away that they wouldn't like keep a closer eye on the kid, but I'm also applying like 20th century, uh, 21st century logic where we like watch over our kids like crazy. But I think even us growing up, like, <laughs> you know, no one was paying attention to us. So I can only imagine what it was like back then. They probably were just like, yeah, just make sure you sh- check in once, once a day and then you can just go out in the woods and do whatever you want. Once a week. Yeah. <laughs> Broadcasting from the Woodpecker Studio in the great state of New Hampshire, welcome to the Sounds Like a Search and Rescue podcast, where we discuss all things related to hiking and search and rescue in the White Mountains of New Hampshire. Here are your hosts, Mike and Stump. All right, Stomp. So we don't have a lot of like planned out content aside from the recent search and rescue stuff that's going on, but there's a lot, a lot of stuff to cover here. So um, mm-hmm. I think that's going to be good enough. We'll see. We'll see what happens. Yeah, that's good to be back. How's your early summer going? Good. It's going good. I've been getting out, getting out hiking. What about you? Uh, yeah, I have been. I mean, a little bit. My folks are here, so what I've been doing is trying to mentor them and get them back on the trail. Uh, they did Love Connection earlier, which is this little bootleg trail um, in Smarts Brook. And then just a couple of days ago, they went up and uh, got within 0.3 miles of the Well Sticky Overlook. And uh, they missed it by 0.3. <laughs> they ended up bailing out. Because oh, they were like, we're 
where the hell is the, the overlook, you know? But they were so close. But the next day, they went back up and um, they, they crushed it and they, they made it up there. So I'm really proud of them. Oh, nice. Now, more importantly, are they cooking dinner for you yet? <laughs> Not tonight, but yeah, we've been sharing the load. We've been taking turns. Although my, uh, my turn is yet to pop up here, so... I think I'm overdue to make a meatloaf for everybody. Nice. Now, are, make a mean, mean meatloaf. Do you think that your parents will like get the get the bug and start going like really crazy? You don't think we'll have to do like a search and rescue for one of them and on like falling waters? Well, I almost, I almost had to on Welch chicken. Jesus. <laughs> no, they uh they actually went to Lahoots and got um, some nice new packs. Um, my stepdad got some nice new boots. I mean, yeah, they're diving back in. They, they were the ones that got me in the hiking way, way back in the day when I was like 13. So um, it's good to see them back at it. So it's oh, been fun. All right. Well, we're going to have to have – I actually do want to have um, uh, Grandpa Stomp on it one of, the, one of these days to, to give us some, some more <laughs> details about his Woodstock adventure. So maybe if they're around, we'll mm. get them on. Yeah. And actually, this morning, just one other thing. It's a, that, that that Smarts Brook area is really beautiful. I did the southwestern um, aspect of Action Ridge, and again, it's another bootleg trail. It's not marked. You just have to know where to look, and uh, it rose up to this beautiful view of Black Mountain and Algonquin Trail, which is over by you know closer towards Sandwich Range. It was just a really lovely morning before the heat came in, because we are dealing with some high 80s, and I guess it's going to be like 90 tomorrow. Really? I don't, um... Yeah. I don't think... that The the Black Mountain that you're talking about is not the Black Mountain in Benton or Black Mountain in Jackson. There's another Black Mountain. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's um, it's the tail end of the Algonquin Trail, which is the southern end. And it's a bushwhack. The Algonquin Trail actually comes up to a call, and you can bushwhack probably like 200 feet up to the summit. Um, it's a very obscure little peak, but uh, you can get to it off of Sandwich Notch Road. Got it, got it. So I don't know that area. So you're to all these trails that Stomp is talking about are on the western approach to Sandwich Dome and Jennings Peak. So I, I actually have not been. Right. I've done those those hikes, but always from sort of the east. Um, so I've never really done anything over there so i gotta go i gotta go over there and check it out with you one of these days yeah it's really cool there's a lot to explore and um i I actually enjoy the lower portions of that area more than the uh the summits i mean there's just so much to explore it's incredible yeah yeah there's a lot of trails out there i'm looking at it right now as we're talking so and would you say that this is not a very crowded area not at all yeah i mean most of the people you may see cars in the lot the trailhead parking lot on route 49 but those people are probably just doing the loop or just walking their dog, that type of thing. So, yeah, you don't have to worry about people at all. All right. Well, your local neighbors are going to get pissed off at this. But, folks, if you're listening and you want to get into an area that doesn't have a lot of crowds this this summer, then the, um, what is it, exit 28 that, you, yes. that you're, you're talking about, Route 49. So yep. head over to by Waterville Valley and uh, Smarts Brook Trailhead is where you want to go. Yeah, it's a great place. All right. Very cool. So that was a little segue. That was a long start to the show here, Stomp, but I think we want to kick this off with a drink discussion. So do you have anything good? Yeah, this is great. This See, there's so much to talk about. I feel like we haven't talked in ages. I know you've been busy with family stuff, and uh, but um, Nobby Hikes came up two nights ago now, I believe, and yep. his, his quest to hike from the southern end of the state to the Canadian border is well on its way. I actually helped him do some car spotting 
the other night, and as a gift, he brought in this this Pinot Grigio, and it was hilarious. It's called, listen to this. It's a 2019 Californian wine. It's a Pinot, and it's called Fit Vine. You get it. There's a silhouette of this like trail runner, totally buff guy with a wine glass in his left hand as he's running forward, and then in his backhand that's behind him, he's holding a uh, <laughs> a pile of grapes. So, <laughs> so he got me some Fit Vine. And uh, I got to read you this. It's hilarious. It says on the back, we crush grapes, you crush life. <laughs> oh, nice. <laughs> so whether you're, nice. whether you're crushing it at work, at the gym, or at home, drink with us. <laughs> Very cool. That's Very silly? cool. We'll have to put that up on the show notes. So Yeah. Uh, and then how is he doing for his hike? So we, our friend Mark is um, doing the co-host trail right now, right? Or is he done? Yeah. Well, no, he's heading up towards Crawford Notch. He's out for five days. He started at Goose Pond, which is down by Dartmouth. Yeah. Oh, man. It's uh, that's that's a good journey. He's going to have a hot week this week, too. Yeah, yeah. So we'll have him on when he's—so he, he'll be on for a dedicated show to do a recap of um, of the, the overall hike. So we'll look forward to that. Yeah. But, uh, I am. Uh, I'm drinking. You wouldn't. You wouldn't believe it, but I'm drinking an IPA this evening, and it is from Beer Wolf Brewing, which I think I've already had a couple of beers on the show from Beer Wolf. Yeah. And this one is called "Don't Sweat the Technique," and the reason why I pick this one, I pick everything based on the the um, the art on the on the beer. So this one has a microphone stuff. <laughs> the art. <laughs> it has a microphone on it. So I was like, this oh. must be this is calling my name. Awesome. A microphone. Yeah, That's some uh, good stuff. Yeah. So I'll link this in the show notes. But I haven't had I haven't started it yet, so I'm gonna crack it right now and we'll see how it is. Yep. Ooh, that's that's nice. Yep. So um, you already got into a little bit of the recent hikes, but besides that Smart Brooks hike stomp, is there anything else that you've been getting out on? No. You know why? I have uh, search and rescue OCD right now. I mean, this is a week after the long Memorial Day weekend, and I you know, stayed in all weekend last weekend waiting, and that's just the way I get. I'm super, super OCD about not missing a call and whatever else. So even this weekend, I got out this morning, and then I just sat around in the house all day just waiting. <laughs> <laughs> and nothing's happening some, I know it's well things are happening elsewhere like Lakes Region Search and Rescue has been super busy uh, the other side of the state but um, knock on wood it's been uh, uneventful over here which is unusual but welcome yeah yeah I'm surprised I mean we're, we're recording this in early June Sunday night it's it is it's been brutally hot this weekend and I I mean we'll see what comes in tomorrow but my guess is that there's going to be a few people that um, get in trouble with being dehydrated or heat exhaustion or something. But you haven't got any calls, huh? Zero. <clears throat> yeah, zero. Wow. Well, I've gotten. I got out to. I did two hikes in between shows here, so I, I was. It was a little bit slow just because I had some family issues that I was taking care of. But I got back up to Western Maine where my in-laws. Um, live and I got out and I did a solo hike to Burnt Meadow Mountain in Stone Mountain which is a loop trail local to Brownfield Maine it's about five minutes from my in-laws place so I've hiked this thing dozens of times Mm -hmm. and uh, it's what I would I would I would say it's a hidden gem Uh, absolutely beautiful views Um, you can get some views out to the presidentials on the backside of Burnt Meadow and then it's got some really cool views out into uh, western Maine you can see like the um, Green Mountain and and 
uh, Pleasant Mountain as well on the other side. So it's a great hike if you ever get a chance to get out there. And it was closed last year. And I think they were doing logging or something. And I used to go crazy because it was it was, it was was blocked off. The parking lot was blocked off. But there would be people hiking all the time. Like, first of all, during COVID. And then second of all, it was closed because they were doing logging operations. And I had this anxiety that they were going to shut this place down because it's all private property. But they allow you to hike there. But... Hmm. Luckily, they've reopened it up, so I, I I hadn't gone out there in two years, so it was really great to, to get out there. And, and on the on the backside of this thing, they have uh, a rock slide, so I was able to bushwhack up this this huge rock slide on Burnt Meadow. It's it's pretty cool. So I'll throw some pictures of the hike up on the on the website so that people can take a look. But if you are ever looking for a place to go that you don't want crowds, Burnt Meadow is a great choice. Yeah, I'm not too familiar with that area. Yeah, yeah. The two big ones are Burnt Meadow and then Pleasant Mountain, which is Shawnee Peak in Western Maine. And it's, a, I say Western Maine, but it's literally like probably 15, 20 minutes from North Conway. So in mm-hmm. some respects, it's it's easier to get there than it is some of the some of the stuff in the whites for me. Excellent. Any other yeah. housekeeping? Well, I had I actually did one more hike that I wanted to oh. talk about. Um, so I. Went out with the McLaughlin crew, so you know my brother Matt and uh, yeah. my sister-in-law Marissa. So my daughter. Yeah. Did you make him wear uh, snowshoes? No snowshoes. <laughs> no, no, there was no need for it. Actually, we it was cold though. But we we went out last weekend. We we started at um, Stony Brook Trail, off of Route 16, mm-hmm. and we hiked up to Mount Moriah. So I had my daughter. My oldest daughter, Caroline, and my niece, Addie, who is a 10-year-old. So they joined us. So that Matt, Marissa, Addie, and Caroline are all working on their 4,000-footer list. I've already been on Mariah, uh, but I took hmm. them up via Stony Brook. And then we, we had spotted a car, so we went all the way across and came out Rattle River. So it was like an 11-mile hike. I think everyone was kind of done with it by mile nine, but we got to the shelter at Rattle River and sat down and sort of got our final win but um yeah. really cold day memorial day weekend and it was it was cold but it was we got some beautiful views out to the presidentials so um i'll talk a little bit there was a recent issue uh, or, or an event that happened close to that area that we'll cover in search and rescue but um, if you are ever hiking was that the uh chikora i'm sorry to interrupt no no this was the uh the hammock the the, the death on uh, oh that one okay this is this is a very unusual period of uh time here for these rescues there's some strange weather and some strange events going on yeah uh, anyway yeah. yeah we'll get there yeah exactly but the um chomping at the bit exactly but yeah mount mariah was great and again that's another area that you know, we talk about wanting to avoid crowds like coming up rattle river to get to Mariah or Shelburne Mariah, like you'll see like AT through hikers coming down that way, but generally it doesn't get that crowded. So highly recommend it. But Mount Mariah has got some amazing views on those ledges out to the presidentials and the view from the top is, is pretty nice too. Very nice. Very nice. Yeah, very nice. <laughs> Fucking, I don't know what the hell was wrong with me that day. <laughs> Have you had any feedback on the Facebook group about some of these episodes? No feedback. Um, I've gotten a couple of questions, though, Stomp. Um, oh. Th- and, and it's weird. Like, three people have reached out to me independently, and I don't think any of these people know each other. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, so for the audience's purposes, like, I think if you go on our Instagram page, uh, 
Stomp is more active on on the Instagram page behind the scenes. So if like you you follow Slasher Podcast on Instagram and somebody responds or, or you get some interaction, that's typically Stomp. I'm more on the Facebook side, but I, I got a bunch of questions from people or a few questions from people that are they're curious about the Facebook group. So we have a Facebook group which is called Sounds Like a Search and Rescue Call is about to happen. That group existed before the podcast, and it's a pretty decent-sized group. I think there's like eight or 900 people in there, and it's been in existence for probably like three years. And the question I'm getting about the group is they're basically why, like, why is this group so weird? <laughs> so, <laughs> Wait a minute. What, from just like newbies to the group? Yeah, yeah. So I think that people are expecting that it's going to be 100% like the the podcast and we're going to be a little bit more rigid about like the content and all this stuff. And the, the Facebook group is really just, it's a free-flowing shit show is what I would call it. So there's a lot of like search and rescue stuff that goes on, but there's also a lot of uh, just open discussion and weird things that pop up. So yeah. Well, I mean, this is, it's family though. I mean, these, this, a lot of the people in that group of yours date back to several different social hiking groups that started several years ago. So in a sense, that's probably why it's so weird. I mean, most families are pretty weird, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. (laughs) So yeah, unfortunately, like when you do do join that group, you are stumbling into a a bunch of like sort of tight knit hikers that have known each other for a long time and they've got, um, odd sense of humor on things. So, and I've had to explain this to people from time to time, because I think a lot of people are sort of used to this very moderated, like posts getting deleted, people getting kicked out of groups and uh, just not doing any of that stuff. It's just whatever you want to post, you can post on there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's very cool. If I were on Facebook, I would join. But I'm not. Yeah, yeah. Stomp is not on there. So he's our Instagram person. So um, definitely follow us on Instagram. That is where you're going to get most of the sort of direct interaction. And I think that'll be the type of interaction that you'll um, you know, you'll enjoy. The Facebook page is great, too. You know, that's a lot of open discussion. But, you know, it does deviate. It's not all search and rescue. There's a lot of just general hiking stuff that goes on there. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Very good. Well, we're all caught up. Let's uh, move on, up. I think, huh? Yeah, yeah. So segment one, um, we're going to get right into search and rescue news here. So the first one, um, I'll cover, I got two non-New Hampshire ones, Stomp, that I can cover. And then why don't you cover the New Hampshire ones? Yeah, you bet. So I'll start with uh, something that happened on Camel's Hump in Vermont. So um, this was a rescue... I've never been on camels hunt. I got to get out to Vermont mm-hmm. at some point. Have you Have you done any hiking out there? I have not. You have I uh, I live right on the border too, so a lot of my coworkers are heading over the uh, the border quite a bit. But I mean, it sounds great. Mount Mansfield. I mean, it's just huge, beautiful mountains. Yeah, I yeah, know. I always look over there whenever I go. I'm on that western part. Like I, I get up to like Smarts and. Um, that area there and I look out to the west and I'm like, oh, I'm going to get out there. But but anyway, on um, May 26th, um, there was an injured 18-year-old female hiker coming down Hamel, uh, Camel's Hump and uh, the rescue had to respond and bring her down via litter. So late on Tuesday, 
Uh, I guess May 25th, the Burlington resident injured her ankle on the long trail as she descended north towards Jonesville. She was able to reach a shelter where she held out for the night, and then early Wednesday, she ended up calling for rescue when she realized that she wasn't going to be able to safely hike down the mountain. So, mm-hmm. um, that so she morning, had service. She had service. She got to a shelter. Um, she, I think she was kind of hoping that like maybe she'll wake up in the morning and they'll feel a little bit better. But by 7 a.m., they had several teams mobilized for rescue. Um, and I guess the, the teams were from Colchester Technical Rescue, Huntington Search and Rescue, and uh, Mad River Valley Ambulance Service, and then Stowe Mountain Rescue as well helping, helped out here. So Nice. Uh, I'm they, curious um, how their service is in Vermont versus New Hampshire for cell service. Yeah, I don't know. They they clearly have um, a number of established teams in that area, and I'd have to imagine that they get a fair number of rescue calls. But they had 21 rescuers assembled, and mm-hmm. you know they had a long hike in, and they were able to uh, carry in the the litter. And I guess they they got to around 8 a.m. and or actually they left around 8 a.m. after assembling. They got to the hiker around 10. Yeah, the hiker was still sort of thinking that she could hike down with some assistance, but they they pretty quickly realized they needed to put her in a litter, and then you know it was really difficult terrain with a lot of rope belays and things like that needed. So, I guess mm-hmm. they got her out by one o'clock. But I, I'm curious after I read this stomp, like, do you have scenarios where like how much leeway will you give a rescue if if somebody says, you know what, I think I can. I can limp out. Is it better for them to be holding on to two people and limping, or do you just throw them in a litter and, and get them out? It depends on the situation. It really does. Um, there were recent, um, somewhat more medical calls recently where, you know, somebody would attempt to walk out, but all in all, it would have taken three times the, the duration to get them down. So sometimes you'll just put them in a litter just to get them out quicker. Ultimately, if they can walk, it's safer for everybody. Um, less chance of the rescuers tweaking a knee or an ankle. If possible, yeah, we'll walk them. But if, if it's unrealistic, we'll just try to carry them down. Got it. Got it. So, yeah. yeah. So that, I, I wanted to just grab that story because we don't hear a lot from Vermont. And I think that a lot of their rescues fly under the radar. Like, I don't think that they publish in their media uh, on the in the media as much as, as New Hampshire does. But this was like, you know, all around. The hiker did what she needed to do to get to a shelter she gave it some time to see if she could get, um, you know, get herself out on her own, and ultimately made the right call at the right time to say, "Yeah, I need a rescue." And you know, a lot of credit to her, 18-year-old uh, hiker. She was probably not happy to be put in that position, but I think that she made the right call a- across the board on this one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very good. So um, the next one here, Stomp. This happened. This is a beer-related search and rescue, or not even a search and rescue. This is just a beer-related incident that happened in California. It's a pretty fascinating video. Mm-hmm. A 17-year-old, I think she's 17 years old, so a 17-year-old girl confronting a black bear and pushing the black bear off of a brick wall. So the video starts with a with a mother bear and her two cubs and the bear is just climbing on this like brick wall that's like maybe mm. four feet tall and you know the bear's just minding her own business with her cubs and all of a sudden like these three or four dogs come up to it and one of the dogs is pretty good size the rest of the dogs are like those little like teacup dogs those mm-hmm. little foo-foo dogs yeah, that lap all dogs. the old yeah 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 all the old guys in my neighborhood all have those little foo-foo dogs so <laughs> 
the bear immediately like goes into like protection mode because the bigger dog is like starting to like bark at it. And then the little dogs, obviously they can make a ton of noise. And probably within 15, 20 seconds of the video, you see this 17 year old girl run over and the bear is on a, um, a brick wall and the, the cubs run away. So they're out of the picture. This girl proceeds to just, without even stopping, she's in protection mode of her dogs and she mm -hmm. pushes the bear off the other side of the fence. So this is probably like, what would you say? Like 300, 400 pound black bear? Absolutely. At and least she just, Yeah. And she just eats this thing off the side of the, off the side of the wall, like it's nothing. <laughs> and then proceeds to like pick up her little foo-foo dog and all the other dogs run away. Um, but mm -hmm. it, it's amazing. So I'm going to link this in the show notes, but like after watching that, like, would you ever do something like that? Do you think? Well, I think it was just a fight or flight response. I think the adrenaline kicked in and she was protecting her, uh, her dogs, you know, her she just, foo -foo dogs. She, I think that, I think the brain shut off and she just went into fight. I mean, how yeah. else would you explain that? Well, do you think, let me ask you this. If, Tick Chick was faced with a similar situation for her cats. Do you think she would do the same? Uh, I, I, uh, probably, depending on the cat. <laughs> She's very fond of one cat. Yeah, yeah, Don't yeah. Let, I, can't, I have to speak softly. The other two might be around. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I think, uh, I, I don't know. That's a tough one, but I just don't want to lose my life. With yeah, yeah. you know confronting a, a grizzly that has two cubs behind it, yeah. yeah. Well, this was I a mean, black she bear. locked it, out. It, yeah, yeah. So there wasn't a grizzly as Northern California. Okay, but it's a good sized black bear. Like a bear. That thing, yeah, it was a bear. Yeah, <laughs> Let's yeah just say exactly, that. <laughs> exactly. Now, would you um, like we? I haven't really, I haven't seen a bear in the wild in all my hiking. But um, like, at what point do you think you would have to go into like? protect mode if a bear like if a bear came within like three or four feet of me i think i would that's probably the range where i would just start having a heart attack mm -hmm. yeah I, I mean it's yet to happen so it's all speculation but did you see the the other recent video it was a of perhaps a ranger but it was a backcountry scene this guy's on the edge of a river and a grizzly comes closer and closer and closer and there's somebody filming behind the person at the edge of the river and the bear gets so close the bear starts to stand the the person in the lead tells his buddy make spread your arms out as wide as possible and you know just to make yourself look bigger that whole thing and the the man in the lead uh just started yelling and talking really loud but boy oh, i can't even imagine being in that situation but the bear just scurried off i mean the bear was intimidated by the size and the noise very interesting video yeah yeah i um I do a lot of solo hiking, and I do think I, I, I do think about bears popping up all of a sudden because I, I did see a moose a couple of weeks ago, and that was like my adrenaline got pumping just from that. So I can only imagine what would happen if I stumbled upon a bear. Yeah, my my encounters have been like thirty feet away, and they just they run away as fast as possible. Uh, I think you get in trouble when you you stumble on them and they're they're proximate to their cubs. That's that's when you're you're effed. Yeah, that happens you know in the spring, so midsummer. Late fall, I think it's a different story. Yeah, and we don't have too many issues in the White Mountains with bears. Um, I hear a lot more. I think there's a section of the Appalachian Trail that just got shut down because the bears are being too aggressive. But um, here in New Hampshire, we don't have too many issues. So do not feed them and uh, don't interact with them at all. They don't. The last thing we want is to have these bears get used to human interaction. 
<laughs> Unfortunately, it's happening. I mean, they shut down campsites on Tripoli Road. You hear about it more, it seems, with the uh, the influx of people coming up camping and stuff. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Good stuff, man. That's a great, great video. So we moving into New Hampshire? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So we've got, um, I think we got, let me see, one, two, three, four, five search and rescue events that have happened in the last week or two that we have to cover here. Although one of them we're going to, we'll just briefly touch on it and then we'll hold for when we have the guest on that was involved in that one. So, but uh, why why don't you kick it off, Stomp? All right. So we have a missing hiker that was located on Mount Shannon. Mount Shannon is uh, south of the Belknap Range. It's a 1,265-foot summit three-mile loop, apparently, uh, with lake views, really ledgy summit. So it sounds really nice, actually. But a 24-year-old woman was reported missing by her husband at about 6 p.m. This is May 24th. And they located her car at Hidden Valley Scout Camp in Gilmanton. Uh, Apparently, she had left right around noontime. They used cell phone forensics. This is very cool. And it's great when this is available. They determined that she had summited the mountain at about 1.30, so it took her about an hour and a half to get up. It put her in the location of Goat Pasture Hill and the Red Trail at approximately 5.30 p.m. Um, Several teams came together, Gilmanton Fire and Rescue, Police, Alton Fire, Fishing Game, and also Lakes Region Search and Rescue, and Belmont Fire. Apparently, they, they found her at about 12.45 a.m. on the 22nd, and she was located 50 yards off of the Anagote Red Trail. And at 1.35 in the morning, she was reunited with her family back at the trailhead. So there it is. I mean, she's 50 yards off trail. She was disoriented, according to the story, due to the network of trails. Not uncommon. She had no cell phone service, and her phone battery became depleted around 5 p.m. When it got dark, she just hunkered down and waited for assistance to come, which is, that's what you should do in that type of situation. And um, they found her just briefly off trail. So a lot of lessons in this one. Nice. Yeah, that's a long night. Um, it is. And I don't, I don't know that it's, so this sounds like it's like the southern end of the Belk Nap range that she was, she was poking around in. I, I don't really know that area that well, other than I've hiked Mount Major once or twice. Um a lot of these lower peaks have a lot of trails. Like they, they talk about the complexity of the network. That's not uncommon for some of these lower trails. You have ski mobile trails and cross country ski trails and, you know, easy access. So it can be a little disorienting. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I mean, if you have a map, paper map obviously can help, but she had no cell phone. So even like just using any of the technology on her cell phone to try to figure out where she was, wasn't going to work at this point. So it's, it's basic stuff. Like, Know how to navigate. Make sure that you have, um, you know, th- did it say that she, she didn't have a headlamp either? No. Nope. It became dark and she just stayed put. Yeah. Yeah, well, she'll uh, she'll learn her lesson this time and hopefully it won't happen again. Hmm. The second one that we have is over on the Conway side and this made the local media. It's always uh, interesting you hear about climbing accidents and injuries they tend to draw a lot of attention yes this this climber was climbing cathedral ledge the route was named aeration buttress about 984 feet high 
according to the climbing grade of difficulty, I guess it was a 511, um, some parts 58, which would be intermediate uh, bordering on hard to difficult. She was lead climbing. I'm not a climber, but I, I have a basic understanding. It's like if you're in a party of climbers, you're in the front, you're climbing without the assistance of an anchor or anything like that. So if you fall as the lead climber, you're going to fall back to your your lowest uh, and most recent anchor point that you made. So apparently here, she fell approximately 40 feet from her high point and sustained multiple injuries. Mountain Rescue Service extracted her from the location, and then she was carried to an ambulance and um, taken to a local hospital near North Conway. Yeah. Now, this was, um, so Mountain Rescue mobilized. Are they, so your your search and rescue team is sort of regional where you won't, you don't have to go too far from where you live, but like um, it seems like Mountain Rescue needs to cover the entire state. Is that uh, correct? Uh, more or less. Yep, absolutely. Most of the teams, the volunteer teams outside of Mountain Rescue Services have, you know, limited training for, you know, basic belay, river crossings, for instance, setting up ropes for things like that. But when it comes to the more challenging technical ascents, they're the ones that are called to help somebody like that. We've seen them on a number of missions over the last few years, uh, up on Cannon Cliffs, occasionally up on Franconia Ridge in the extreme weather conditions. So yeah, they, they go where they're needed. Uh, same thing with New England Canine. They supply search dogs. They will travel statewide. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. And I, I feel mm-hmm. like Cannon Cliffs and uh, Cathedral Ledge are like the hot spots where there are, you know, when there are climbing accidents, it seems like those are the two two areas where they're most common and I don't know anything about climbing so I, c- I could never judge whether or not like this was just an equipment error or if this was just a you know just a, a weird accident or, or if there was something else going on I don't it doesn't say in the, the news reports here yeah yeah I'm limited to the report itself I don't have any inside scoop on that um yeah not sure yeah it's gonna be scary though 40 foot drop is gonna that's got to hurt. 40, 40 feet. That is, yeah, I mean, she's lucky to be alive. I mean, that's the thing with climbing. I mean, I, I'm so happy just being a hiker and having my feet on the ground. I um, I am partly, a, a little bit curious just to, to have an experience of some easier climb, just to have the empathy and understanding, maybe a little better sense of what people experience up there and whatnot. But uh, I'm in no rush to do it. <laughs> yeah, I'm not either. I mean, I would do. Maybe we can. Maybe me and you will take a field trip to an indoor climbing gym to get get our adrenaline fixed. But that's about my max. Well, that's the thing. Um, one of the t- my teammates actually um, has borrowed my inversion table because after my hip replacement, I can't put that amount of traction on my prosthetic in my hip. So I gave him my inversion table. We we sort of bartered, and I'm like, hey, how about uh, set me up with a cheaper used hiking gear like harness helmet whatever and he's like yeah great <laughs> so i anticipate doing some climbing at some point in the near future but it'll be modest <laughs> so now you have a real helmet instead of your bike helmet <laughs> yeah i'm upgrading <laughs> very impressive so oh, boy. Uh, hopefully uh hopefully the injured climber is recovering that that's got to be scary so i'm glad they were able to assist her down and um, best wishes to her yeah Number three, right? Yeah. Here it is. Overdue hiker found deceased in the Wild River wilderness. This this is a head-scratcher for me, people. Um, 
I actually sent you a text about this because I was my my mouth hit the floor when I read the details about this one. Yeah, yeah, it's just a horrible, horrible situation. Mm-hmm. This is over near the uh, Wild River Wilderness, which is someplace I'm not very familiar with, but um, some of the missions that have occurred in there, in my mind, it's sort of developed this ominous, mysterious tone about it. Have you ever been in there, Mike? A little bit off the backside of the bald faces, but not, not... Not enough to say that I'm familiar with it. Okay. Yeah, apparently, like, uh, especially with high water events, I guess it can be a pretty intense place. This is May 28th. This individual, his name is Edward Murphy. He was attempting a multi-day hike with an anticipated completion date of Wednesday, May 26th. At his completion date, he had not arrived back, so a search was initiated. Conservation officers sent multiple teams up into the wilderness area to locate the individual. One party went up Bogbrook Trailhead and scoured the Bogbrook Trail through Perkins Notch, traveling north. Second team came in from Wild River Campground and searched High Water Trail to the Wild River Trail, traveling south. And a third party uh, came in the Shelburne Trail, traveling south. So you had three teams searching for this person. Um, eventually, they found him at the Spruce Brook tent site. Uh, at about 7.30 p.m. Thursday night. And uh, this is just mind-boggling. Evidence at the scene indicated that he had been killed by a tree uh, he had placed his sleeping hammock on. Apparently the tree, I don't I don't know if it, uh, if it broke or just toppled or what, but the tree actually hit him and killed him. Uh, they don't suspect, you know, foul play or anything like that, so... Very unusual story. It is. It is. And um, I I wish I had like some really sage advice to give people around how to set their hammock up to ensure that something like that's not going to happen. But yeah, um, that's a good point. I don't I think. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, maybe it's putting a significant amount of weight on the trees. I do whenever I go back backpacking I do take a look above me to to get a sense on whether or not any trees might be uh, a little bit sketchy but there is an element here when you do do backcountry um, camping that you've you know you want to take some basic precautions to make sure that you're putting weight on the trees especially if you're setting up a tent uh, but also take a look above you to make sure that you're in an area where you feel reasonably safe but Sometimes, like, you just don't know. It's sort of the, you know, it's 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 a testament of fate to hope that, you know, the trees won't come down on you. Yeah, I mean, the days, I'm trying to think of the weather, too. We had some pretty intense storms that Wednesday, and I'm wondering if that had any, you know, play on the trees. You know, the blowdowns are a risk and high winds and uh, thunderstorms. So I'm curious, or if it was just some natural occurrence. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. And it's I was thinking about him as I was out there because when we hiked Mariah, we you know, we we turned up on the um you know, the I think it's the Carter Mariah Trail, but there is a a trail that brings you down into that tent site. Um I don't know if it's I think it may be the Mariah Brook Trail or it follows Mariah Brook and then you take a left and it brings you into Wild River and there's a tent site down there. So 
I thought I read on social media that he was hiking around that area like the Carters and the Mariahs and then sort of ducking back into the Wild River for for overnight sleeping. So, um, Where'd you read that? It's a really... I think I read that. Somebody had written that on social media. I think that he had been hiking somewhere along the, the Carter-Mariah um, range. Okay. And that tent site's kind of close to that area. So maybe he was up there and then came off the back of those and, and was was tenting but it's a it's a sad story i mean the guys are the same age as us mm-hmm. and um uh, from what i read in his obituary you know he was an avid outdoors person uh, a lot of hiking and his his passion and goal for the last couple of years was to complete the 48 4000 footers and he was planning on finishing the, this summer so uh family guy Grew up in the North Shore of Massachusetts, and you know we went to UMass Lowell. He was an Eagle Scout, uh, avid hiker, hunter, mountain biker. So, uh, very sort of common background. I think that both of us can sort of look at and say, like, wow, this, you know, th- this is somebody that we definitely could have, you know, hung out with and gone, gone hiking or camping with. So it's really sad to see something like this happen. Mm, yeah, absolutely. All right, so. Moving on to our next one, I think we should take a little spur here and uh, do a touch of history. Are you okay with that? Sure, sure. It, yeah. As long as there's no tick jokes involved, let's do, <laughs> let's do it. Let's dive into some White Mountains history, shall we? Chakor is a really fascinating place. The trail on this rescue is actually the Jim Liberty Trail. And uh, just, just to touch upon a little bit of history here, it's one of the easiest routes up Mount Chikora and one of the most popular routes. The Liberty Trail was named after Jim, parentheses, Dutch Liberty. Uh, it was improved in 1887. It was incorporated with the state of New Hampshire in 1889. And this trail was actually used as a toll booth trail. So back in the day, they used to charge 25 cents which would be about $30 plus today to pass to get goods up over the mountain. So it was a toll road. <laughs> it's amazing. Who, who, got, who got the toll? Uh, uh, settlers. I mean, anybody tri- passing goods along, moving, moving state to state. Yeah. Really? Yeah. It's amazing. So listen, it was called the Halfway House. Okay. So it was a former logging camp. Pedestrians had to pay 25 cents about 30 bucks by today's standards. You can still see evidence of this halfway house, aside from the Jim Liberty shelter that's up there. Okay. Pretty neat. In 1892, a fellow named David Knowles and Newell Forrest actually built a three-story hotel <laughs> that's in the area. I mean, incredible history there. So they, they built a hotel on Chikora or at the bottom of the mountain? At, at this halfway house location. Really? So they replaced the Liberty Peak House with a three-story structure. So it served as a hotel. <laughs> we got to find the relic of this. It's incredible. Yeah. So so when this was in peak operation, people were paying $13 a week for lodging. That would be $1,300 today for lodging. Wow. Because you're talking the 1800s, eight, you know, the late 1800s. Um, in 1915, the Peak House was blown off the mountain. And um, a cabin was constructed on the Peak House site around 1924 by the Chikora Mountain Club. And that lasted until about 1932. And then come 1934, the U.S. Forest Service replaced it with an enclosed cabin, which is the current 
six bunk bed, you know, large chains holding the uh, the roof in place. Hell of a history. Yeah, the, yeah, yeah. Well, th- whatever they replaced it with, like that place, I would never sleep there. Like besides the oh. um, the the other place that creeps me out is the cabin on Mount Cabot. But like that Jim mm-hmm. Liberty cabin, like I would never sleep there. It's just I don't know what it is about that place, but it just creeps me out. It's it's it feels kind of gross. Really? Yeah. Maybe it's just what's it just too used? Yeah, like, I think so. Volume? It just has that vibe of like like a I don't know. I haven't slept there, but mm. it just gives me a creepy vibe. I don't know why. All right. Well, okay. I I remember passing that on the my very first hike. We went up this trail, and um, it was a nightmare. I hated it. This is the trail where I had my stepdad carrying all my rocks because I was a rock collector. Oh, my yeah, hair, put yeah. this big 10 pound chunk of quartz in your backpack for me. <laughs> that was Teenage Stomp, right? <laughs> yes, it was. Yeah, yeah. So, um, but yeah, before we get to this rescue, so the, the other interesting thing is uh, Chikora was a Native American chief. Um, apparently, he died in the area in the 1700s. According to the legend, he yelled a curse and then jumped off of a precipice near the top. I always love these stories. Okay. Chief Chikora, he was apparently a prophet. He lived with his young son in the region of Tamworth. He wanted to avoid conflicts with white men and all this good stuff. So he was he did become good friends with this individual named Cornelius Campbell, okay. a settler in the area, like I'd mentioned. So there was one day that Chief Chikora had to leave his home for a tribal meeting, and his son stayed with the Campbell family. And unfortunately, the son dug into some uh, poison that the Campbells used to uh, ward off foxes. So the kid died. So Chikora came back. They're like the worst babysitters ever. When Chief, yeah. So he came back, his, his son was dead. Grief and anger overwhelmed him, so he sought revenge. He went to the Campbells' property, murdered Cornelius's wife and children. Isn't this crazy? It's like a Shakespeare story. Well, it's yeah. It's a Shakespearean it, tragedy. It's like, so if you if you agree to babysit the tribal chief's kid... Like, you, you cannot let the kid, like, poison himself and die. Like, you're going to start a war. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. It's like, one, it's like babysitting 101. Well, that's what happened. So Cornelius came back and found the dead bodies of his family, and he, he suspected that, that it was Chief Chikora. So they, they got together a uh, group of people and chased Chikora up to the summit, and that's when he apparently verbalized a curse upon the white men and everything else. I mean, there's... I mean, there's historical accounts about what he said, but I mean, who knows if it's accurate or not, but uh, he cursed cursed everybody. So there's an evil curse on the mountain. <laughs> really? That might explain why yes. there's been so many rescues there this year. Like, this is about the 10th the issue on Chikora this year. You know what's really silly, though? As a kid, I always thought... See, I mixed up the stories in my head because I knew these stories as a kid, and I mixed them up, so I thought that Chikora got chased to the top because he didn't pay the toll. <laughs> Well, he didn't pay the toll, Jason, to the top. Yeah, that's crazy. So they, so I got that wrong. They definitely weren't like live free and die um, <laughs> back then. They were like, give me the toll if you want to pass. Yeah, yeah. Or charge somebody 1300 bucks just for a night's lodging. Unbelievable, man. What a crazy story. Yeah, yeah, that is crazy. Like, I'm blown away that they wouldn't, like, keep a closer eye on the kid. But I'm also applying, like, 20th century, uh, 21st century logic where we, like, watch over our kids like crazy. But I think even us growing up, like, right. you know, no one was paying attention to us. So I can only imagine what it was like back then. They probably would just, like, yeah, just make sure you sh- 
check in once once a day, and then you can just go out in the woods and do whatever you want. Once a week. Yeah. <laughs> so. so that brings us to our rescue. Here we go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is, so there's a rescue is... on Shakur. That's why we were talking about this. So. Exactly, and it's on the same trail system. So you have, um, it's May 31st, 7.15 p.m. Uh, 911 receives a call from a 19-year-old man from Dover, New Hampshire, stating that he was unable to walk. Um, apparently, he was walking with two companions, and they had attempted to hike Chikora via the Hammond Trail, which is part of the Liberty Trail, but it's further up. I think the, I think the, the logistics are... You, actually, you start at the Hammond Trail at the trailhead, which is 2.7 miles up, 2,500 feet, and then it be, then you hit the Liberty Cabin at 3.3 miles. Then it becomes the Brook Trail at 3,200 feet. So long story short, after passing the Jim Liberty Shelter that we just mentioned, they decided to return back to their vehicle because there was um, some serious weather coming in. Um, what was the date of this again here? Let me see, June 1st. We, we have to start incorporating some weather details on these yeah yeah actually, actually it was it was may 31st actually the the news report was on the june 1st but it was Memorial Day weekend was freezing it was cold out the whole weekend yeah exactly it was a tumultuous weekend for sure it was a miserable weekend and i was over here at my house going yes no rescues this weekend because <laughs> yeah. the weather sucks yeah i do i get like that it's pretty ridiculous <laughs> <laughs> so they decided to turn back um this person's two friends were in front, and Miller is the name of this person. He fell behind. His condition deteriorated. It got darker. He apparently lost consciousness, according to the report, and was unable to walk. And that's when the uh, call for help came in. So they were able to f- they were able to pinpoint where he was based on the nine one one call. Yeah, and when the call was received, he was complaining of being wet and cold. He was two point two miles from the trailhead on Pogus Road. Fishing game responded, and he was located on trail a short distance from actually where the nine one one coordinates put him. So there you go. I don't know if he uh, had moved or um, if he stayed put, but yeah, yeah. I mean, the weather that that weekend again. You know, it was Memorial Day weekend. I was hiking. I think I was hiking that day or maybe the day before, and I actually didn't bring pants. I only had shorts, and it was like I think it was thirty five degrees on the trailhead when we got when we got started so Chikora is obviously a fair bit south but I would imagine it's the sort of the same conditions and I know that the southern region got rain as well so we didn't get any rain up up by Mariah but it was it was definitely raining farther south so not a not a good and the cabin itself that's exposed I mean that's 2100 feet I, there's no mention of any other volunteer teams here, but um, I believe it was just conservation officers that responded and actually warmed him up and gave him warm clothing, food and water. They gave him a headlamp. Apparently there must not have been a headlamp. And uh, eventually he was able to walk back down. So no litter uh, required. As to your question earlier, had this person attempted to walk and then collapsed 100 yards further down, then they would have put him in a litter and carried him. Got it. Yeah, and this is like, I mean, this is like basic, don't do this 101, but like you're in a group, don't separate. Um, Yeah, that's a common theme, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Lately, it it has been anyway. It certainly has. Stick together, people, stick together. Yeah, and I have, like I even, I talk about this all the time, but like even 90 degree weather, 
uh, I'm still bringing a hat and gloves because you just never know what you're going to run into. Um, so it doesn't sound like he necessarily had all the, the right gear for this situation either. So hopefully he'll learn his lesson. But if he, had, if he really lost consciousness, like he could have been seriously, like if he, if he starts stumbling around and I've experienced somebody in the early stages of hypothermia and I can absolutely see them panicking and stumbling around and getting off trail to the point where you might not find them. So it's serious business when you get into this. It's um, it, it's really like kind of shocking to watch somebody go through hypothermia, especially the early stages. They just are they they just have no ability to think clearly. I, I, that would be moderate hypothermia. I mean, how do you lose consciousness? Maybe it was just shock or or fear or something. It's very interesting. Yeah, yeah. Well, he's a lucky guy. He's a young guy, so hopefully, him and his friends learned a lesson uh, to to not do this. But this is again, we had a situation on Chikora. I think we covered this on a on a show, probably the first couple of shows where there was two nineteen year old hikers that got in trouble with no headlamps and they weren't weren't prepared for the conditions. So um, I think Chikora is one of those sort of popular mountains where uh, young people sort of go and say like, "Oh, I want to really um, you know get." epic views and they don't realize how dangerous it can be mm. those young whippersnappers that, yeah, yes that's right i think there was a wasn't there a rock hopper race this weekend or last weekend it was this weekend i think, they had a I think it was yesterday oh was it yeah i think it was yesterday. was it on chikora it was on chikora i've done that race it's oh. it's brutal oh really where do you go i mean what's the route do they change it or um, the route is hold on i'll tell you you go off the back of the mountain so it yeah. is let me just see. I'm pulling up my map right now. Is over there. Yeah. So I think it's, I think it's Beeline Trail mm-hmm. to Brook Trail, and then you take West Side and loop back up. That's a good route. Hot weather for uh, a race like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then. And on a side note, your uh, your training continues for Mount Washington Road Race, right? It does. It does. Yeah. Um, although. Is it next weekend? Two weekends from now. It is. Okay, so it's not on Father's Day, right? Or is that Father's Day weekend? Yeah, yeah. I think that's Father's think Day weekend, is. yeah. So it's, it's yeah, we're okay. recording this on June 6th. So, um, cool. Yeah, I'm just trying. I'm just doing my normal running, and I'm just going to suck it up and just run up the hill and be miserable, but it should be fine. <laughs> You're breaking your diet with uh, the IPA. Yeah, exactly. Your chicken diet. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> So, um, but Excellent. the only other, there is one of the search and rescue that I wanted to call out here, but it's more of a teaser. So there was a skier that got seriously injured on Tuckerman Ravine. Um, that came in through the Avalanche Center and, um, this person actually got helicoptered off and, uh, I'll, I'll tell the story in next week's episode because we are, you know, we're going to have our friend Jeff on and he's bringing a friend Stephanie and Jeff was not at this at this incident but Stephanie was and she's going to break down so she was one of the first responders on the scene so Tuckerman is a oh wow yeah so she was one of the first people um to help with this person and ended up being like a um a serious serious injury of an old school skier and um they had to helicopter him out and helicopter flew right over my head as I was eating dinner um in my at my in-laws place so we're gonna do a deep dive on this one so we'll hold on that but there was an incident in tuckerman so we're looking forward to stephanie and jeff coming in to give us a, a little bit more detail on that so that's it a lot of search and rescue stuff any any anything else you want to call out on this stomp before we move on to the next episode i think we got good let's let's tackle this next one this is going to be fun slashers hiking topic of the week 
does hiking hurt your body? Um, so two late 40, early 50-something guys are going to give you the answer to this question, which I'm going to tell you, the spoiler alert, yes. <laughs> yeah, I, um, I saw this article in Outside Magazine, and it's dated... January 25th, 2021, by Grayson Haver Curran. <clears throat> and the title of it is, Did Through Hiking the Appalachian Trail Ruin My Body? Uh, let me just give you the paragraph here. It's, Many hikers hope their treks will make them better at other sports. Instead, mine kept me from distance running for a year, a common side effect we don't discuss enough. So it, it's a little subtopic there, but the overall question is, you know, <laughs> is hiking good for you or bad for you? Um, if you'll... Allow me. I will go into this a little bit, and you can interject, okay? Yeah, yeah. And I get some opinions on this, so I'll, I'll, I'll let you go, but then... I'm approaching this from jump in. the mindset of a physical therapist, too, because in this article, he talks about some strategies that his therapists gave him. Um, but anyway, let's just start at the top here. So Mr. Mr. Curran, he did his AT journey back in late 2019, I believe, Um had a couple injuries. He had a, a, a root rip his into his shoe and uh, a few other things. But um, from there, he goes on to describe how 17 months after completing the AT, he was suffering from chronic pain, uh, post-trail depression. This is this is fascinating stuff. Post-trail depression, lingering yeah. stress fractures, worn joints, and I had to look this up. I not as smart as I thought I was. Obdurate obdurate ligaments. If you look that up, it's firm or iron. <laughs> I'm not sure what's going on there, but he had some ligament issues. Let's just say that. Um, so the story goes on to quote physical therapists that um, speak about sports specificity in general. And basically hiking really doesn't translate to other sports. So I think this person may have you know, decided to start running uh, marathons and this and that, uh, probably too prematurely after doing something as strenuous and long-term as the AT. Uh, so that's a term that we use in physical therapy. It's called sports specificity. Like whatever you're, whatever you're doing for an activity, mm -hmm. that's what your body's getting used to. And if, if I'm a hiker and I suddenly decide to start swimming, it, it's a whole different, whole new starting point, whole new learning experience for your body and a whole new training cycle that you have to go through. So will you get injured? Yeah, the risk is a lot higher. So the, the physical therapist's suggestion to him was as a through hiker, you know, don't jump into a marathon immediately. Uh, the story goes on to say that 10 years later, he's still having tibial plateau pain, which is your knee that he describes as a yep. construction crew pounding roofing nails into his knees. And at the time, he's in his 30s. Another issue, right ankle pain. Uh, he had to go see another PT for this, and apparently stretching, exercise, orthotics, and new shoes took care of that issue. Uh, then he goes on to complain about his lower back pain. About a year after the AT, he had sudden low back pain. And... He, he he managed it with PT again with stretching. I don't know what dry needles are. So that's outside of my. I'm a, I'm a bread and butter PT. I don't get into dry needles and all this other stuff. None of that hippie stuff for you. Nah, nah, no. I'm all set with that stuff. Bread and butter. So he took care of all these problems. Um, 
I don't know. This gets really interesting because he's he's almost, in my opinion, is he a hypochondriac at this point? I mean, these are common issues for most of us that are hiking and doing strenuous stuff. So he, he's still having orthopedic complaints, so he decides to go to see an osteopath. And this is where the story gets really interesting. Uh, the osteopath sends him into a deep dive on diagnostic testing. Um, he starts raking up insurance bills. He gets blood work done. He gets ultrasounds. He's prescribed antidepressants for nerve pain. <laughs> Very interesting story. Finally, the osteopath diagnoses him with, quote, dead butt syndrome. Okay, this is where my, my eyes roll. All this money that this kid has spent, all the, the diagnostic testing, it comes back to gluteal amnesia, as the article writes. But I can tell you as a PT, basically what happened to this kid was he overdeveloped his hip flexors, his quads. They were dominant, and it basically makes your, it makes you, puts you into a Cro-Magnon man position. Your, your mm-hmm. posture's terrible. And you know what I mean, Mike. So your, your butt's not as efficient as possible. Your, your glutes or your hip extensors really aren't working. So it messes up your back. It messes up your knees. Long story short, this kid went through the ringer trying to figure out some some really basic issues that can be managed, in my opinion, as a PT with basic stretching um, and just core activities and things like that. So anyway, that's my, my rant. What do you think, Mike? What's your take on this story? Well, I think... I mean, it's interesting. So at a high level, it's interesting. So you, you, you're doing a through hike. You're in the best shape of your life. You know, you're probably... You know, at the lowest fat level you're going to be at um, when you finish, you know, doing the four or five, six months out on the trail. A lot of times what I've noticed with through hikers is, is that their diets are shit. Absolutely. You know, they That's eat a one lot of, of my junk. notes. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's, you're, you're trying to power yourself with all this crap and there's no nutrition. So how the heck are you going to recover 30 miles a day every day there's no way you're gonna you're gonna experience overuse injuries there's no question about it yeah yeah there's no doubt about it the other thing i will point to when i when i saw this article is uh, the age of the person so i think he's said he's 35 or, or on the 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 older side of 35 and i think that when you i, and I can tell you from my own experience i was able to kind of hold on and, and keep my speed when it came to running up until probably the last two, three years. But I, the way that I did that was by dialing back my pace on my training run. So my guess is that this person, when they did restart their their running, is that they probably went at it way too hard. And they said, you know, what worked for me in the 20s is going to work for me in the 30s, and I'm just going to replicate that. And it just doesn't work that way. At a certain Mm -hmm. point of time, especially when you get into your later 30s and early 40s, what you really need to do is you can hold on to your speed when you're a competitive runner or semi-competitive runner. But what you really need to do is to uh, pick your moments because the faster you run in your training runs, the more likely it is that you're going to get injured. And you have to make a personal decision to say, like, I'm going to stay within myself to run in a way where I'm not going to get injured. So for me, you know, that's meant, you know, I probably in my early 40s, I 
I kept my mileage the same, but uh, the, the days of doing like sub seven minute miles and, and, and running at that pace were over for me during training runs. I would hold that until I actually went into races. And then, you know, at this point in the last two, three years, my times have, have just completely cratered. I'm just not fast anymore. And I'm, I'm happy to live with it because the purpose of me running is so that I can stay in shape to go hiking. So well, let's take it, let's take it back to the specificity though. So how do you balance your running with your hiking? Do you have a diff, see a difference or do you need to find some balance uh, if you've gone out for 18 miles and then you start running? I mean, do, what do you do? Well, typically I, I, I very rarely will I run the day after I go for a hike. Um, so I'll always give myself a rest day after hiking, even if it's like a five or six mile hike. And you know, when I do go back that next day, I typically don't run anything longer than like five or six miles. That's me. I'm, I'm a, I do 30 miles a week and that's what I'm comfortable with. That's not probably normal for a lot of people, but for me, that's pretty standard. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just think everything I'm reading about this situation here is that he was in great shape, finishes through hike, tried to pick running up again. I'm sure all the physical stuff that you're talking about, about his overdeveloped muscles and things like that is a factor, but I'm, I am can guarantee you that if I looked at what he was doing for his restart, he was going too fast, too far, too soon. Mm, yeah, without a transition. Yeah, yeah. And without and, a recovery. Yeah, and your earlier point around cross-training, and I'm horrible about this, but like for a long time, that was what saved me is that I got into triathlons and I was cycling and I was swimming and I would, you know, I would mix it up and I wasn't running 30 miles a week. I was doing like probably 20 miles a week, but I was mixing it up with cycling and, and, and swimming. So I got to get back to that, but it's the more variety you have, the better it is for you physically is my opinion. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'd like to help out if anybody's interested, I could, we can add some show notes for hikers in particular to target the muscles that get impacted the most, because some of the stretches that I've done and shown people have been really helpful um, that might be a nice resource. Yeah. Um, to take care of the dead butt syndrome. If you are suffering it, please contact Stomp at 1 800 dead butt. Yeah, exactly. But I think that it's the common stuff that I hear the most about hiking injuries. It's the, the plantar fasciitis, it's the Achilles tendonitis, the IT band, mm-hmm. um, you know, muscle pulls, um, those are treatable. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, with with stretching, even plantar fasciitis, I mean, that's generally something that happens because your calves are too tight and it's not allowing your your forefoot to flex upward as you strike the ground. So therefore, your your plantar fascia is absorbing all that impact and micro tearing. So that's something that can be avoided in most cases. So stretching is key. It really is. It is. And it drives me crazy. Like I'll hear people that have chronic plantar fasciitis and I've had it multiple times and typically I can address it within three or four weeks if you know I always get a new pair of sneakers I use the uh, the pro form I think it's called the, the that that calf stretcher the blue oh yeah sure uh, arced you know I use that and then I'll ice uh-huh. and typically it's taken care of but I feel like this trend uh, a lot of times I'll I'll hear you know, either plantar fasciitis or Achilles tendonitis, a lot of it has to do with like these zero drop shoes. People just like say, oh, I'm going to, I'm going to buy a pair of, um, oh, zero drop shoes. Five that, fingers? Like five fingers? Not the five fingers, but I think they are the, um, 
is it the Hoka ones or I forget the names the names of the brands, but they they have yeah. no lift on them whatsoever, and the gotcha. people transition into those shoes, and then they get Achilles tendonitis, and they don't know what 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 happened, and it's because they they have tight calves, tight tight Achilles, and they're they're putting more pressure on them by having zero drop shoes. Gotcha. All right. Well, this is a great conversation. Uh, injury is something that we could talk about again in the future. There's a lot to cover, but we got to go back to the post-trail depression because I'm fascinated by this. I liken this to an interview that I saw of you two, uh, you know, the Edge and Bono, mm-hmm. when they would come off of these world tours, you know, singing in front of 200,000 people every night, they'd come home to their, their quiet little home and they'd, they'd go into depression. Not that, you know, through hikers are, you know, entertaining 100,000 people, but the point is that they're out there for six, seven months doing this amazing, amazing feat, looking at these views, and all of a sudden, it all ends. You're just sitting at home, you're not walking, you're just on your couch, you're doing whatever, and depression hits. I think this is fascinating because there are people out there, there are clinicians that actually deal with sports uh, therapy in terms of psychotherapy for people that are suffering from this type of thing. Um, thoughts on this? Well, it's interesting. So I actually have a, you know, I'm in, in a couple of groups that are focused on through hiking and I've actually got one or two people that I could, I could probably have come on to, to break this down, but, um, be great. Po- post-trail depression for long distance hikers is, is very common and it's talked about a lot. And really? I think there's two, there's two things. One is the type of person that is going to be a long-distance thru-hiker, very likely, unless they're sort of a retiree, if they're doing it when they're young or they're doing it, especially midlife, there's probably some sort of underlying things going on there that is sort of is motivating them to say, like, I want to be in an environment where I'm not going to be around a lot of people. I'm going to be very sort of inward-focused. I mean, think about it. Like, mm-hmm. if you're going to drop out of society for five months to hike – um, that is a very sort of like inwardly focused, like, yeah, I'm not saying, I don't say it's selfish, but it's a very sort of like, I'm going to work on myself. And my guess mm-hmm. is that in a lot of cases, people are not happy with their current life situation and they're taking sort of an extreme approach to say, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to get on the trail and do a through hike to, to address that. Yeah. And it probably Start doesn't always work. Like they're still going to, yeah, they get, now they got to face you know, the reason why I left my situation was because I wanted to refocus and now they've got those same pressures staring them back in the in their in their face when they're getting at the end and they probably have a tough time adjusting. Hmm. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, I know a few people too that could come in and talk about that. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, we've I think we've got some mutual friends that have kind of gone through through hiking, and it's also common where people just they 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 throw in the towel after you know a certain amount of of time, and they just say, you know what, there's outside pressures that are going on where I've got to get off trail, and you know it's it was my dream originally, but it's not anymore now that I've experienced a part of the trail. It's it's time to move on. Mm-hmm. And some just can't. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, I have a dream to hike the Appalachian Trail when I get to retirement age, but who knows? I mean, I've I've got another probably 10, 15 years before I've got to think about that, but my situation could completely change in the next 15 years. So who who knows? Everything's got to line up correctly. Sounds miserable. Don't call me for a car spot, okay? I'm not going to do it. <laughs> you give me, you're going to give me 
trail magic and Snickers bars when I get to New Hampshire, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> hey, listen, we're going to wrap up in a minute, but if, if Nobby Hikes is listening to this, don't call me for your car spot from Canada, buddy. Yeah. <laughs> I, ain't, I ain't doing it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Crawford yeah, Notch is as far as I go. Yeah. I'm not friendly enough with him where he can he can hit me up for a ride yet, but that that may change. Yeah, the uh, the fit vine was great, but I ain't driving you back from Canada. Sorry, kid. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> so, so anything else? We so we covered search and rescue. We covered um, a little bit of uh, sort of keeping yourself healthy. I mean, at the end of the day, when it comes to this physical stuff, like whatever you need to do to push your body so that it can withstand the demands of hiking but not push it so far that you're going to injure yourself like that's the sweet spot and everybody's different and you got to figure it out on your own um the mental aspect of this stuff is you know for me the day hiking just gives me a reset and and i can deal with life but the through hiking stuff is more complicated we'll have somebody on here to talk a little bit more about that in the future i think yeah good show Good stuff. Good stuff. Yeah, so we'll uh, we'll be back next week and uh, let's let's call it a wrap. All right. Till then. Later. Bye bye. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed the show, you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you want to learn more about the topics covered on today's show, please check out the show notes and safety information on slasserpodcast.com. That's S-L-A-S-R podcast.com. You can also follow the show on Facebook and Instagram. We hope you'll join us next week for another great show. Until next time, on behalf of Mike and Stomp, get out there and crush some peaks. Now covered in scratches, blisters, and bug bites, Chris Staff wanted to complete his most challenging day hike ever. Fish and Game officers say the hiker from Florida activated an emergency beacon yesterday morning. He was hiking along the Appalachian Trail when the weather started to get worse. Officials say the snow was piled up to three feet in some spots and there was a wind chill of minus one degree. And there's three words to describe this race. Do we all know what they are? Lieutenant James Nealon, New Hampshire Fish and Game. Lieutenant, thanks for being with us today. Thanks for having me. What are some of the most common mistakes you see people make when they're heading out on the trails to hike here in New Hampshire? Seems to me the most common is being unprepared, and I think if they just simply visited uh, hikesafe.com and got a list of the 10 essential items and had those in their packs, they probably would have no need to ever call us at all.